Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us today for our Safety and Health Magazine webcast sponsored by Ergodyne. We're going to give our audience just a minute to settle in and we'll start the presentation shortly. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us for our Safety and Health Magazine webcast today, sponsored by Ergodyne. We're going to give our audience just a few more seconds to uh, get settled here today, and then we'll begin the presentation shortly. Thank you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast, The Brain Injury Your Hard Hat Overlooks, How to Fill the Head Protection Gap Left by Current Standards, sponsored by Ergodyne. My name is Barry Botino, and I'm an associate editor at Safety and Health. I'll be moderating today's event. We'd like to thank you all for joining us for this webinar. Before we get started today, I have a few housekeeping items to share. As a disclaimer, the views of today's speakers and organizations are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the National Safety Council or Safety and Health Magazine. Any mention of a commercial enterprise, product, or publication does not mean the council or the magazine endorses those items. After today's presentation, we'll conduct a Q&A with our speakers. If you have a question, just click on the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen, type in your question, and press the Send button. You don't have to wait for the Q&A to begin to send a question. You can send one in at any time at all. After this presentation, you'll be asked to complete a brief evaluation survey, but I'll tell you more about that a little bit later. Today's webcast will be archived, so you can access it after today's live event. To view this webcast and all of our past webcasts, please go to safetyandhealthmagazine.com events, or you'll also receive a link in our post-event email. With that, let's introduce our presenters. With us today are Tim Gallant and Olaf Rylander. Tim serves as a product director at Ergodyne for the Protection Pillar, where he leads innovation across the category and specializes in sculler's head and eye protection. Tim has more than 20 years of experience in product management, design, and development. Olaf is a senior business development manager at MIPS, he works to advance the organization's mission of leading the world to safer helmets by educating people on the MIPS safety system, which is a technology based on the research of neurosurgeon Hans von Holst. Again, we thank you all for tuning into this presentation today. And Tim, whenever you're ready, go ahead and take it away. Okay, sounds great. Thanks, Barry. <laughs> and thanks everybody for joining us today to talk about this very important topic. Uh, we'll jump right in. Here's a look at what we'll be covering. Um, I'll kick things off with a head protection overview to frame the conversation before we go into types of impacts accounted for in the current standards. After that, we'll get into the work being done to bridge the possible protection gaps being left by those standards. And then lastly, uh, we'll finish up our time with a Q&A session with myself and Olaf. With that, Let's start with a quick freshman level survey course we're calling Head Protection 101. But first, a little fun fact. Did you know that before the hard hat was invented, uh, it was actually shipyard workers uh, who used to smear tar on their caps and then let them dry and harden in the sun? Um, they did this to create some protection against things falling from the decks of ships above, but also as a guard against the seagulls who like to pick up food or anything that looked like food, you know, seagulls, um, then drop it to the ground either to break it open or just get rid of the stuff they realized wasn't actually edible. That's kind of funny, but honestly, um, they were real solutions for the real hazards of the time. Um, of course, since those days, 
the hard hat has really become the most iconic symbol of worker safety. From the steamed canvas and glue uh, of the original 1919 hard boiled hats to the aluminum lids that were worn during the build out of the Golden Gate Bridge, which uh, also, by the way, was actually one of the first times hard hats were required on the job. Hard hats really have evolved. And as they've evolved, of course, uh, constant tweaks have advanced and improved comfort, safety, or both. Today, uh, head protection has evolved into three main types. We have hard hats, uh, which we've been talking about, safety helmets, which we will talk about. Um, and they're also known as climbing or climbers helmets and bump caps. There are some significant differences among these products and who should be wearing what is really largely based on A, uh, what is required by OSHA at any given work site and B, the risk and potential impacts the worker is likely to be exposed to. To narrow our focus, let's differentiate between types of impact. There are two main types of impact posing risk to workers. Um, one is object-generated impacts, and the other is worker-generated impacts. This is pretty straightforward, but you know, important because the different type, types of impacts drive really very different product solutions, as you'll see. Object-generated impacts involve, you guessed it, uh, impacts generated by an object, like the falling wrench you can see here on the left, uh, something coming from somewhere and striking a worker on the head. In contrast, worker-generated impact is when a worker initiates the contact with something fixed, or not fixed for that matter, uh, that can lead to injury. Think banging your head on a low overhead beam or on a latch while working under the hood of a car. It's a pretty simple distinction, really. Now, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, in the private sector, injuries to the head account for about 40,000 injuries a year that result in at least one day away from work. Interestingly though, of those, only 6% occur in construction where hard hats are most likely being worn. Meanwhile, uh, we have sectors like manufacturing, transportation, and warehousing that account for more than three times that amount of head injuries. Uh, so does that mean that all these injured folks should, be, uh, should have been wearing hard hats? Uh, actually, really very likely not, and I'll get into that. Hard hats uh, you know, are really more ideal when working in open construction situations, places where falling debris and drop tools are the more common hazards. In tight quarters like crawl spaces or under sinks, uh, hard hats can get in the way and end up actually really be, being annoying to the wearer and that can lead to compliance issues, frankly. Uh, in conditions where you're navigating under overhead plumbing, low ceilings uh, and hanging hazards, you're more likely to bump your head than to get hit by a falling brick. This type of worker-generated impact may seem less severe than object-generated impacts, but they really can lead to serious gashes, um, you know, troublesome concussions, and also no small amount of medical expense. And to that point, um, a National Institute of Health study put the average cost of an emergency room visit at $1,200. That's a lot of money for something that is largely avoidable when the right protection is chosen for the work and the risk, which in this case really isn't a hard hat. For these situations, bump caps are a better solution. Bump caps are typically built around a padded, impact-resistant plastic shell and are lower profile and less likely to get in the way than a hard hat would. Bump caps can look like a baseball cap um, and are designed to provide comfortable, really lightweight protection against the kind of worker-generated impacts we've been talking about in the last couple of slides. Basically, um, anybody working in tight, confined spaces where hard hats are not required should really be wearing bump caps. A lot of the time, uh, workers like cable and HVAC techs are already wearing hats, uh, either their own or as part of their uniform. In those cases, Universal inserts like the ones shown here are a simple, low cost, and frankly, stealthy way to add some protection and guard against the bumps, scrapes, and bruises that these folks are guaranteed to suffer from from time to time. Uh, a quick aside here, it's important to note that since bump caps are tested to a different standard than hard hats, 
they should never be used where hard hats are required. Even, even though both hard hats and bump caps are forms of head protection, they are really different products for really different risks. All right, then. Uh, in contrast to worker-generated impacts, we have object-generated impacts, which again, involve an object causing the impact. These object-generated impacts uh, injuries could be from a falling brick, a drop tool, a flying piece of debris, or even from moving equipment. And uh, I should note that all that these injuries affect a whole host of diverse verticals from oil and gas uh, to general construction. Getting official, uh, OSHA states that employees working in areas where there is a possible danger of head injury from impact or from falling or flying objects or from electrical shock and burns shall be protected by protective helmets. Protective helmets, like the hard hats you see here. Um, also, of course, as you probably already know, hard hats come in a few different styles to suit individual environments and personal tastes. In those cases where object-generated impacts are present, uh, OSHA-approved head protection requirements are guided by the ANSI standard Z89.1. While many hard hat manufacturers test and certify their products, not all do, so employers and workers will still want to verify that their hard hats meet the ANSI standard, and it's worth noting that every product should be labeled as such, uh, so keep your eyes open. Now, Here's a quick rundown of important ANSI hard hat classifications. Type one hard hats are designed and tested to shield workers from objects and blows that come from directly above. Type two are designed to protect against those same impacts from directly above plus direct lateral blows and impacts. And there are three classes of hard hats. Class G or general hard hats offer dielectric protection up to 2200 volts. Class E or electrical hard hats offer dielectric protection up to 20,000 volts. And class C uh, or conductive hard hats are not designed to provide any dielectric protection. They only protect workers from blows to the head, but also um, you know, they usually benefit from some type of venting that's uh, not allowed in the, in the class E electrical insulators. The type one hard hats are what you see used most commonly really. Uh, with the class being determined by the, the specific use case or, or worker role. Uh, another increasingly popular option for object-generated impact protection is the safety helmet, uh, also known as the climber's helmet because its origin is European mountaineering helmets. Safety helmets have become the preferred choice for a lot of folks um, working at heights like arborists or tower climbers. They've also been gaining popularity in the general construction world uh, due to the additional protection that they provide compared to a traditional type one hard hat. Safety helmets differ uh, somewhat meaningfully from hard hats in both style and functionality. The micro brim or no brim shell um, really improves upward visibility, which is very beneficial when climbing ladders. Uh, Safety helmets also include a chin strap that further increases protection by keeping the helmet secure to the wearer's head in case of an impact, a sudden movement, or even a fall. Most safety helmets are also designed and tested to the front, rear, and side impact requirements of the EN 12492 Mountaineering Helmet, helmet Standard. Um, as I mentioned, you know, that's really where these evolved from, uh, so it makes sense that many of them are tested to that standard. Uh, this provides additional protection compared to a traditional ANSI type one, which as we noted, only protects against impacts from directly above. A lot of safety helmets also have more integrated optional equipment, such as flip down visors like the one shown here on the right for seamless, you know, relatively lightweight added protection. Okay, uh, after that quick overview of the different types of head protection available, we're curious. What type of head protection is being worn by your team? Uh, hard hats, safety helmets, or bump cap? Uh, please take a little time to answer the poll question that should be popping up in your window now.
Moving on, uh, let's focus specifically on hard hats and these newer safety helmets for a bit. Hard hat technology, it's obviously has evolved tremendously over the last century, as we noted earlier. There's really one thing that hasn't evolved though. Uh, traditional hard hats and even the newer safety helmets have a one track focus on protection from direct linear impacts. Though incredibly important, uh, this focus has really neglected or overlooked the possibly dangerous implications of more common angled impacts on off-center blows. That's important to note uh, because those angled impacts can cause rotational energy to be transferred from the hard hat to the skull and ultimately the brain. And the result can be traumatic brain injuries, or TBIs for short. According to BLS data, uh, despite 6 million hard hats and safety helmets sold each year, over 18,000 workers still suffered traumatic brain injuries in 2019. With that, it's really important to ask ourselves if we're covering all the angles when looking at the head protection we're offering workers. Uh, so let's talk a little about what could be going on here. As we've discussed, uh, at their core, all ANSI rated hard hats provide some level of protection from impacts. Depending on the type, severity, and location of an impact though, the factors and forces that can lead to injury are really complex. We know that while a direct impact can, uh, to the head can cause a skull fracture or contusion, rotational motion caused by angled impacts may also result in injuries such as concussions, subdural hematomas, or something called diffuse axonal injury. Since there's a real distinction here, let's take the next few minutes to unpack these two concepts, what they are, how they affect the brain, and what's being done to mitigate them. First, let's take a look at direct impacts. Direct impacts, of course, are well exactly that, uh, square dead center hit to the top or sides of the head. Think a wrench from directly above as shown on the slide here. When a perfect direct impact occurs, there's very little rotational force transmitted to the brain. More on that in a bit. Uh, this is all fine and good, except for that when an object, floor, or beam comes barreling toward your brain, it's really unlikely to give you the common courtesy of adjusting its path to hit you squarely. It's just coming for you. Currently, both the North American hard, both North American hard hat standards, uh, ANSI Z89.1 and CSA Z94.1, only test for these direct linear impacts. Type 1 hard hats are approved for top of the head, with type 2 approved for top, front, back, and sides, as I noted before. To meet Z89.1, as well as European standards, a hard hat or safety helmet must pass a force transmission test. In this test, the hat or helmet is placed on the dummy and hit squarely with an eight pound impactor from the top. If testing for type two, of course, it will also be hit from the front, back, and sides. This method determines individual maximum force readings based on various impact velocities. To be approved for the worksite, the hat or helmet cannot transmit over 4,450 newtons. That's a thousand pounds of force. I bet you've noticed that I've been saying direct and linear quite a bit in the last few slides. Uh, that's because those types of impact are the only thing our current standards take into account. Uh, missing from the picture are angled impacts, which are all the other more frequent instances of an object not hitting the head straight on or the head hitting an object such as a structure or a piece of equipment or the ground squarely. More often than not, uh, when something hits you, it's gonna strike your head at an angle introducing what's called rotational forces against the brain's center of gravity. Unlike a concentrated compression caused by a single direct impact, rotational forces can cause the brain to twist, pull in multiple directions inside the skull. And brains really don't like to be pulled in multiple directions. These shifts and rotations can cause a tearing of nerve fibers, an effect known as brain shear that can lead to concussions, subdural hematoma, as mentioned, that's bleeding in the brain, and something folks in white lab coats call diffuse axonal injury, which we'll get into in a bit. All that said, if transmission of those rotational forces can be somehow reduced, then injuries, and maybe even deaths, uh, may also be reduced. Okay, with that, let's dig a little deeper on this specific topic. Due to the pulling and stretching of the brain we've been talking about, 
angled impacts are actually more likely to result in traumatic brain injuries than direct impacts are. What makes things even more concerning is the frequency at which brain shear inducing incidents occur on the worksite. Falls, which are more likely to result in, in angled impact, are the most common worksite accident and also the most common incident to result in a TBI. This model provided by the Royal Institute of Technology in Sweden illustrates two different fall scenarios. The first showing a direct 90 degree impact, the second showing impact at a 45 degree angle. When we watch these, uh, know that the blues are okay, but yellows and reds indicate, a, indicate higher strain levels. First, this direct impact. As you can see here, the, the direct impact results in very little brain strain, um, not a lot of change in color. Um, but the second, coming in at an angle, um, causes impact considerably, or the impact causes considerably more strain, um, which makes sense because there's a lot more rotation and movement happening in this scenario. Okay, it's time for poll question number two. Have you or your team had a head injury due to a slip, trip, and fall? Please take a few seconds to answer the poll question that should be popping up in your window now. All right, back to it. It may seem funny, uh, but this snow globe offers another simple visual to demonstrate the concept of rotational energy upon a direct or linear impact versus an angled or oblique impact. As you see, the linear motion of a direct impact barely stirs the snow, but the rotational motion from an angled impact causes really quite a mess. As anyone who has followed the evolving saga of head trauma in professional sports knows, uh, the effects of TBIs can be delayed, long-lasting, and even life-changing. TBIs resulting from brain shear caused by rotational energy are known as closed brain injuries. Unlike an open brain injury, these occur without breaking the skull. The type of closed brain injury that most frequently occurs as a result of an angled impact is diffuse axonal injury, DAI. Diffuse axonal injury, or DAI, is the shearing of the brain's long connecting nerve fibers, axons, that happen to the brain as it shifts and rotates. Diffuse refers to how the resulting dysfunction spreads uh, to a wider area throughout the brain. And often these tears are microscopic and really can't be seen on CT or MRI scans. A concussion is considered to be a mild form of DAI, uh, resulting in symptoms such as headache, dizziness, or memory loss. While symptoms of concussions and more severe DAIs can certainly show immediately after the impact, they really often evolve in the following hours, days, or weeks. So what, if any, safeguards are built into current standards to account for angled impacts that cause the rotational forces that lead to brain shear? Um, as we said, both North American hard hat standards, uh, ANSI and CSA, test for direct linear impacts. Certainly, direct impact testing is incredibly important to workers or to workers' safety, and yet the limitations of this widely used method do not adequately measure rotational forces caused by angled impacts. Um, and considering the TBI causing risks of rotational forces, it's clear that something is missing. That said, regardless of the standards, I expect at this point you're all wondering if anything is being done to bridge the protection gap regarding angled impacts and traumatic brain injuries. For the answer to that question, I'll pass it over to Olaf, who will take you into the work that has, has been and is being done to solve for this important issue and what solutions are available to help safety managers better mitigate the risk. Olaf? You're muted still, Ola. You hear me now? Sorry about that. No Thank problem. you, Tim. Thank you. 
And, and thanks again, everyone, for sharing your time with us today. Uh, like Tim was saying, I'd like to walk you all through the answer to what's been being done about protecting workers from the potentially life-altering effects of, of rotational energy. The search for solution to this issue is rooted in the research of Swedish neurosurgeon Hans von Holst and engineer Peter Haldin. In the mid-90s, von Holst began exploring the relationship between brain injuries and helmet construction or designs. Upon recognizing helmets were inadequately protecting against rotational impacts, von Holst teamed up with researcher Peter Haldin to engineer a technical solution to this issue. Together with Haldin, a researcher at the Swedish Royal Institute at the time, von Holst began to perform extensive research with the goal of understanding how and why head and neck injuries occur even when someone is wearing a helmet. The question they were trying to answer was, how can helmets do a better job of protecting the user's brain? The research led von Holst and Haldin to recognize what Tim just spoke about a bit earlier, that most impacts and falls resulted in a person's head getting hit at an angle, and that those impacts create rotational forces that result in tearing and strain in the brain, known as brain shear. Even though these angled impacts were far more common than direct impacts, there was less research surrounding them. So backed by the data from their own comprehensive research von Holst and Haldin, went about finding new ways to minimize the effects of these angled impacts through improved helmet design. Ultimately, years of research, testing and development led to, to this, the multi-directional impact protection system or just MIPS. MIPS is a low friction layer inside the helmet. And it is designed to reduce the negative effects rotational forces has on the brain by allowing the helmet to move ever so slightly and right, redirect that energy. So let's unpack that a bit. The idea behind MIPS is that it mimics the protective properties in the human head by adding a second layer of rotational protection. Cerebrospinal fluid is our natural protection system that allows the brain to move relative to the skull, some, something like, like this inside our heads. And just as the cerebrospinal fluid allows that movement, MIPS is designed to reduce the strain in the brain by allowing the helmet to briefly rotate a short distance around the head of the wearer, something, something like this. So the most severe rotational aspect of the crash can easily be taken on by the motion of the helmet and not transmitted to the head. To give you a better understanding of what I'm talking about, this video offers a pretty clear demonstration of how the slight movement helps redirect rotational energy. As you can see at the end of that video, uh, MIPS was initially focused on the recreational space, uh, but is now expanding onto the work site. If you're a cyclist or skier or snowboarder, you've probably seen uh, that yellow dot everywhere. Or if you haven't, you will definitely start seeing that yellow dot now when you're aware of it. MIPS first. MIPS first started partnering with the European PPE manufacturers in 2019 and was <clears throat> introduced to North American work sites in 2021 with the launch of Ergodyne's Scholar's Safety Helmet. Uh, while other partnerships have been announced with North American safety helmet makers, Ergodyne is the only North American PPE manufacturer that has made the system available in a safety helmet in the US 
at the time of this presentation. MIPS bolsters the enhanced all-over impact protection already inherent with a safety helmet design when compared to a traditional type 1 helmet by adding the important element of rotational energy management. To test effectiveness, the MIPS helmet test lab includes four testing machines designed to mimic real-world impact scenarios. Of the many comprehensive and helmet-specific tests conducted in the test lab, MIPS has found a vertical drop onto an angled surface to be the most simple and robust method for determining reduction of rotational force. The footage you see here is actual testing of this, the Ergodyne helmet in the MIPS test lab. You'll notice that slight movement upon impact created by the MIPS safety system. Early adopters of the Scalar's MIPS helmet pictured here have been positive in the reviews, noting that the lightweight discrete MIPS layer doesn't do anything to hinder the comfort or fit of the helmet itself, as the MIPS system integrates seamlessly with the suspension of the safety helmet and the vented design allows for free airflow. The technology is generally not cost prohibitive either, with the MIPS safety system only adding an additional $15 to the cost of Ergodyne safety helmet. I think it's fair to ask yourself, is your brain worth that minimal extra cost? And most folks would probably say yes to that question. It's also important to note that the MIPS safety system is found only in safety helmets with chin straps. This is because of MIPS strong belief that the added security provided by the chin strap is something that should be a must have for everyone. Therefore, MIPS have taken the decision that every helmet that comes with the MIPS safety system also needs to be delivered with a chin strap. Over to you, Tim. Okay. With that, uh, one more poll question here. Have you heard about the MIPS technology prior to this presentation? Uh, please take a few seconds to answer the poll question that should be popping in your window. Okay, uh, thanks for taking the time to fill out the survey question. And thanks Olaf for giving us some background on, on MIPS as well. Uh, before we take any questions on that or anything else that was presented, um, let's review some of our key takeaways here. Angled impacts are much more common than direct impacts. Angled impacts create rotational forces that cause the brain to twist and pull in multiple directions, resulting in brain shear. The brain is six to seven times more sensitive to rotational forces than the linear forces caused by direct impacts. Brain shear can lead to TBI, such as concussion, subdural hematoma, bleeding in the brain, and diffuse axonal injury. ANSI standards do not currently test for angled impacts. Climbing style safety helmets with MIPS can help mitigate rotational forces that lead to brain shear and TBIs. So with that, let's hand it back over to Barry to help field your questions. Great, well, thank you so much, Tim and Olaf for sharing your insights with us on this important topic. Uh, just a reminder for all our attendees today, you can ask a question by clicking on the Q&A button at the bottom of your screen. Just type in your question and press the send button. 
We might not get to every question today, but the good news is all unanswered questions will be forwarded along to our speakers. And before we start the q and I want to let everyone know about the evaluation survey we're asking you to complete. Uh, the survey will open in a different screen after this webinar. Your input is really important to us because it does help us to improve our future webcasts. And with that, let's get into some questions. And um, I want to start with Olaf. Uh, Olaf, a couple questions have come in that I wanted to share with you. Um, first off, how have you proven that the, the MIPS safety system works? Well, so every helmet that's on the market with a MIPS uh, safety system inside has been proven, been tested here in our MIPS test lab, uh, like the pictures and images you saw that, that we presented. Uh, so we test the helmet and the head in three different impact angles, uh, and it's actually rotation around all three axes, X, Y, Z. Uh, so before we launch the helmet or a proven helmet, MIPS approved helmet, we make sure it goes through our test protocol uh, with uh, with good good values. Great, thank you for that, Olaf. Uh, in addition, Olaf, uh, does the MIPS safety system influence fit or look or comfort in any way? Well, so as you can see here, here is the uh, Ergodyne safety helmet to my to my side here, uh, and you can see it from from the outside. If you look inside, you will see this uh, this yellow layer that lays inside. Uh, I mean, the, the notes and the uh, reviews we've heard about uh, has only been positive. So if anything, it's more comfortable, more comfortable. I think, I guess you distribute maybe the weight a little bit more on your skull. Uh, so it's, uh, it's really been positive. Uh, we haven't heard any negative reviews of, of the safety helmets that have been released with MIPS in them. Great. Thank you for that, Olaf. Uh, Next question for you, Olaf, is uh, one of our attendees wants to know, when will the uh, official test standards include angled impacts tests also? It's a good question. And uh, uh, to be honest, I don't know about ANSI. I haven't heard any progress in adding any rotational or angled impacts to the ANSI standard. Uh, I know there is work done in EN, on the EN standard. There is a working group 11 in the standard the standard uh, sphere, I guess you could call it. Uh, and working group 11 is looking into a angled impact test. Uh, this angled impact test can be used for all kinds of different head protection. If it's sport helmets like equestrian, bicycle or so, but also for safety helmets. So working group one is the safety helmet uh, working group. And I think, you know, they're looking at the, uh, the work that's being done in working group 11 uh, and see if they will uh, put that into the standard. So it's uh, yet to see, be seen. I know they're looking at the revision of the EN standard right now. Uh, so there is a possibility that they are adding a rotational test in the near future, uh, but it's too early to say. Okay, well, thank you for that. Um, Tim, a couple questions have come in that we can direct your way. Uh, one of them is, um, is the MIPS system fire resistant? Uh, we have not done any FR testing on the low friction layer itself. Uh, Olaf, I don't know if you want to chime in on that as well. Yeah, no, I mean, we have tested uh, everything that goes along with uh, the ANSI standard and the EN397 standard. Uh, but we haven't done, uh, you know, like a firefighting standard requirement or something for this layer. Uh, so I, I don't know. I couldn't answer that question. Okay, well, thank you for that, guys. Um, Tim, the next one for you is uh, one of our attendees wants to know, uh, are the inspection requirements or expiration any different than the type one or type two? Uh, no, actually, this um, did not alter our inspection and useful life um, statements for our safety helmets at all. So exactly the same as the non-MIPS non -MIPS version. Okay, great. We've got a lot of great questions coming in here. Uh, we wanted to get to another one here. Got a lot of them coming through here. And Tim, the next one we wanted to get to was, um, will MIPS provide any protection from falling or striking your head, for instance, uh, onto a concrete floor? Uh, imagine when it comes to a slip, trip, or fall situation. Mm -hmm. Well, so as we noted in uh, a few of the slides, um, slips, trips, and falls are, are a common um, incident and they, you know, do frequently result in off-center or oblique impacts. You, you think about it and there's actually some 
some good demonstration footage that MIPS has of uh, actually dropping a complete test dummy to show the angle of the impact on the helmet itself. And this system really is designed to um, help mitigate the transmission of rotational forces from that type of impact. So that that is part of what's in our field of view as we, or was in our field of view as we developed this product. Okay. Um, one of our attendees, uh, Tim has a, has a situation he wants to, to ask about. He says, I get complaints from asphalt paving crews that hard hats make them too hot. Are there any innovations to keep construction workers cooler when wearing hard hats? Hmm. Well, so uh, yes, absolutely. I mentioned uh, the difference between class G, class E and class C, um, class C or conductive hard hats. Um, and the, we have a class C safety helmet here, the 8975-MIPS as adjustable uh, venting that you can open up on a hot day and close up on a rainy day or a cold day. Uh, additionally, Ergodyne um, in a separate product category has a number of solutions uh, intended to help alleviate heat stress, some of which do integrate with um, head protection. So I encourage you to take a look at our offering there as well. Okay, excellent. The uh, next question uh, I'm gonna send over to Olaf. Um, someone is asking about uh, MIPS bike helmets and and uh, Olaf, I'm, I'm sure uh, in Europe, those may be a little more common where you see them. Um, someone is asking about uh, purchasing MIPS bike helmets. Uh, it would be super easy for anyone in, in the United States to, to buy a helmet with, with MIPS in them uh, for bicycling. Uh, go into any kind of sport store, Dick Sport Goods, uh, you know, I know Costco sells bicycle helmets. I think actually Costco, uh, the, all their bicycle helmets are with MIPS. I think they have a company decision on that. Uh, you, you go pretty much anywhere and, and you'll find uh, uh, most of the helmets on the shelves are with MIPS in them. It, it, it's, it, it's everywhere. I mean, if you don't know them, you don't see that little yellow dot. But now again, when you're aware of it, you'll see that little yellow dot on, on everyone's head wearing a helmet. Great. Thank you for that, Olaf. Um, Tim, we had an interesting question that came through. Um, someone wants to know, do, does MIPS testing take into account, for example, sweatbands, bandanas, et cetera, that are, are usually worn in hot environments by workers? Hmm. So we do have, uh, in the, the safety helmets that we're showing here, we have an integrated um, antimicrobial sweatband that is actually part of the system. Um, Olaf can speak to any testing with additional accessories inside the helmet. However, um, the way that the system actually works is the, low, the yellow low friction layer that um, Olaf has been referring to is sliding against the suspension and suspension straps itself. So it's acting between um, the yellow layer and the rest of the hard hat. So having an additional, um, you know, beanie or bandana, uh, that type of thing inside uh, on the wearer's head doesn't impact the, the rotational motion capability of the low friction layer, if that makes sense. Okay, thank you for that, Tim. Um, Olaf, we had a question that came in. Um, uh, an attendee wants to know, uh, how does the MIPS system age? Uh, and is there a maximum recommended time the helmet can be stored? Now, it's, uh, it's the age of the helmet itself that will determine that. So, you know, this is on the inside of the helmet and uh, we've tested it uh, on, on a lot of different kind of aging things with heat, cold, sweat, uh, all those kind of uh, uh, things that could, that could get exposed to. And uh, we have had a good, good success in those tests and, and feel confident that it will outlast the helmet. So whatever helmet, five year or whatever the helmet has as a, uh, as a lifespan, it will, it will outlast that. Okay, sounds good. Sounds good. Um, Tim, a, a quick question for you. Someone asks, similar to fall protection, um, does the MIPS uh, hard hat, would it need to be replaced after being subject, subjected to impact? Uh, yes, but you know, that's really true of all hard hats and safety helmets. If you have an incident, um, you know, you, they should be inspected uh, for damage. If any damage is observed, uh, they should be replaced. Okay, thank you for that. 
And Olaf, we had a uh, attendee who wants to know if you provide free educational presentations for organizations. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, I'm more than happy to, to set up a, a webinar for, for an organization to go over, you know, our findings and our research and, and all that stuff. So more than happy to do that for you. Great. Well, thank you for that. And uh, Sally, we'll make sure that uh, Olaf gets your information. Um, next question, Tim, we want to ask you, um, will we see in the future some updated regulations adding the MIPS system? Uh, you know, that kind of harkens back to the question that Olaf had earlier. Um, so there is active conversation in Europe about uh, addressing rotational energy in head protection. Um, you know, I expect this is something that will be discussed as, you know, this category continues to evolve. You know, I, I talked at the beginning of the presentation about evolution, uh, you know, over the last hundred years. And I expect, you know, the, as the products continue to evolve, um, there will be a need to address that evolution within the standards themselves um, to make sure that, you know, as additional technology like this is brought to market, um, there are components of the standards that will start to recognize it and, and test it and measure it. Um, but okay. it, it will take some time. Gotcha. And next question we have is for Olaf. Olaf, we obviously talked about, about cycling and, uh, and other sports. Has any MIPS testing been done, performed uh, in collision sports? For example, soccer, uh, American football, ice hockey, rugby, and, and what are any results that you've seen? Yeah, we've had uh, several research projects with uh, organizations in all those team sports, actually. Uh, there are not a lot of helmets on the market yet. They, they are kind of evaluating how to test for rotational uh, angle impacts and so. Uh, so we are waiting for them to kind of determine what, what the requirements will be before we uh, do something further in those uh, categories. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Um, Tim, next question is for you. Um, an interesting question. Uh, someone wants to know, can MIPS be inserted into older or existing hard hats? Uh, short answer is, is no. Uh, primary reason being, as Olaf noted, the system, we don't allow the installation of the system into something that doesn't have a chin strap uh, integrated. And um, specifically to that point, you know, there are different types of chin straps here. This is really focused on safety helmets, um, which have a specific uh, retention force requirement that's rooted in the EN12492 mountaineering helmet standard, um, which kind of limits you to specific safety helmets. What I will say though, is if you have a standard Ergodyne uh, 8974 or 8975 safety helmet, we will be offering a complete replacement suspension, including MIPS for those um, models as well. So you can effectively take the Ergodyne safety helmet you already have and buy a new suspension with MIPS uh, and snap it in. And, and Barry, I can just add to that, that you know, as, sure. I, said, as I said previously, we, we test every helmet in our test lab that goes, go to the market. So we are not we're not selling, you know, uh, ad hoc things or, or plug to play things. You know, it's, it needs to be determined that it actually works before we. So it's only manufacturers that can like Ergodyne that can insert this in their helmet uh, or offer like Tim said, offer a replacement harness where the MIP system is already integrated uh, to, to, the, to the market. Okay, excellent. Thank you for that, gentlemen. Um, Tim, we had a few questions come in regarding uh, ventilation and how the system works in hot conditions. Could you um, kind of uh, speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So um, we're actually very proud of um, the reviews that we get on our Class C safety helmets, our standard models, uh, due to that adjustable venting that I mentioned previously. And the MIPS low friction layer actually complements the, the venting that we have in our shell quite well because it I don't know if you um, recall the interior views that we had of this safety helmet earlier in the presentation, but uh, it is exceptionally perforated as well. So it does allow a significant amount of airflow to the, the top of the head as well. 
Okay. And uh, a lot of great questions coming in. Thank you everyone for, for sharing your questions with us. Um, Tim, will, the next one will be directed to you. Um, the question is, um, where are these distributed for the construction industry uh, and how much do they cost? Ah, uh, so actually you should be able to find uh, Ergodyne safety helmets through most uh, safety distributors, uh, including uh, Ranger Fastenal. Um, we also sell them uh, via Amazon and on our uh, direct to consumer site. So if you go to ergodyne.com, they're listed there as well. And price point, they're right around $100 uh, list price. So really fairly priced relative to other safety helmets on the market, actually pretty attractively priced, even though they're delivering some additional protection with the MIPS system. Well, thank you for that. And, and Tim, next question is, is a, a standards-related question. One of, one of our attendees asks, when is Z89 due for revision, and how confident are you that there will be changes made to the standard? Hmm. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm blanking on when the next revision date is for Z89. It's coming up. Um, and, you know, I really can't speak to, I'm certain that there will be, you know, some sort of uh, changes in evolution with a, any revision, but I really can't speak to whether or not rotational uh, energy, if that's really the root of the question, if that's going to be addressed in the standard. As I mentioned, I think that conversation is going to take uh, a little bit of time to find its way into, into the standard, but, you know, uh, organizationally, I'll just say that um, you know, we're working ahead of the standard here. Uh, we had the opportunity to make uh, a helmet that has enhanced safety features. We're going to do that. Um, and of course, also meet the, the minimum standards that are written into ANSI Z89. Okay, great. Thank you for that, Tim. And we had one request, uh, Tim, from uh, a attendee, Michelle, who wanted to know if you could please repeat the pricing information. We do have a lot of attendees who take some notes during our presentation. So she just wanted to make sure uh, she had that information again. Oh yeah, I, I wasn't uh, perfectly specific. I said right around a hundred dollars um, is our list price. Um, there are different pricing, there's different pricing for class E versus class C, but that's right around uh, where you'll be. And by all means, if we get her contact information, I can follow up with a specific item numbers and. Uh, model numbers and pricing. Sounds great. Excellent. Well, we want to thank you both for your time today. Um, we truly appreciate everyone attending today's presentation, and we would appreciate you sharing some feedback via our survey. Uh, a special thank you goes out today to our terrific presenters, Tim Gallant and Olaf Rylander, and everyone from our sponsored Ergodyne. A terrific presentation today, gentlemen. This ends today's Safety and Health Magazine webcast. Be safe, everyone, and have a safe day. Thank you for your time. Thank you.